What's up, Dialed fam? Thanks for tuning in to the Dialed Health Show. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com. And on this week's episode, I'm going to break down my experience at the Belgian Waffle Ride San Diego 2022. This was my first official gravel or quote unquote unroad race that I've ever done. And I want to break down exactly what I did good, what I did bad, because it was eventful. A lot of big highs, a lot of lows, and a lot of lessons learned. And I break down, it's about like my top five things I've learned from this event that hopefully will help you if you plan on doing a gravel race in the future, or if you've done an event and you really want to improve upon that result. Then we sit down with Cody Kaiser to talk about why gravel racing works. And it's cool because he has a completely different perspective than I do having done gravel races since 2014 and also having a different race history than me. You know, he's done a ton of cyclocross racing, cross country mountain bike racing, opposed to me who has done just gravity racing my whole life. And this was my first event, but we still agreed upon the one major reason why gravel racing works. And I want you to stick around to hear what that is. Then finally, we go into my weekly thoughts, which are me talking about post-race goals, things that were inspired from the race and how I got a little bit more focus and a little bit more clarity on my own personal life along with what the business is doing and what the goals are of the business. But before we dive into the episode, I have to tell you guys, this is the third time I've recorded this episode, literally. And I'm kind of happy at this point because it's gotten a lot more polished up. But let me explain real quick what happened. Yesterday, I was recording the episode and I was about 30 minutes into the race recap. And yes, I said 30 minutes, which I realized was way too long. I was going into the weeds too much and I'm kind of happy this happened in hindsight, but the power in my studio went out. It just went out. I don't know if that's ever happened in the four years that I've been in this location. So it cuts out and I was like, you know what? I was just, again, going too into the weeds, too many non-important details. So I'm going to re-record it. But I had to re-record it from the hotspot on my phone. At least that's how my computer was connected. And then when I was on the turbo this morning, my production team uh, messaged me and said, hey, the file didn't come through. You're missing all these chunks. And I knew it was because of the poor connection from the hotspot. So I cut my ride short. I got my butt back to the studio. And we made this happen, but (laughs) I think it's going to be a better version of what we had originally. So I'm not all mad and I really do hope you enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's dive into the BWR recap. The Belgian Waffle Ride San Diego 2022 and my first official gravel race. In fact, I'm going to give them credit because everyone's saying, oh, it's not a gravel race because it's not 100% gravel. So they labeled it the unroad race. That's UN road race, which is genius. You can't argue with that. Truthfully, the course is mostly road. It's slightly over half road, but you spend as much time on dirt or gravel as you do as the road, no doubt. And there's some legit single track, full on mountain bike trails, and then crazy washboard that I've never experienced before. I mean, literally it was like being in a cartoon where you see people rumbling and they're like, uh, that's exactly what it felt like. And it's something new that I've haven't experienced. Plus the absolute beating that you take on these gravel bikes, opposed to a mountain bike, for example, where you have bigger tires, more tread, more suspension, your braking's better and, and the handling's better. Everything is way more comfortable. Even coming off of the big Y rides episode two that I did down in SoCal, which was the hundred mile 14 K mountain bike ride. It had some really rough sections and I talk about it, but there were not 
sections as rough as I experienced on this gravel race, because it has to just be the bike and the suspension, everything I just mentioned. I mean, literally my palms were bruised the next morning. I remember getting up off the floor and pushing my hand on the ground and being like, whoa, wait a second, that's new. My hands are literally bruised up a little. And that's something I don't think mountain bikers give enough credit to even some of these roadies who are out riding rough road terrain. So I have a whole new respect for the sport. I have a whole new respect for the performances and the grit that these people have to do the times that they do especially under the pressure of the race. And that was something I learned right off the bat was that no matter how good of a rider you are, racing is a whole different factor because even myself, I got caught up in the heat of it and I got a little excited and ended up blowing up. I did not have a smart race. This is kind of a spoiler alert for you, but I'll just tell you right now. I came into this with a couple ideas of how I wanted it to go. Part of me wanted to really be smart and just have the strongest 135 miles that I can have. But also part of me was really curious as to how fast the pros were going because I had no idea. I mean, I've always been able to judge myself against the best gravity racers in the world because I've had a chance to ride with them. You know, I've ridden with world champion downhill racers. I've ridden with the top enduro racers in the world. I've ridden with every pro in between and every type of rider in between. So I could tell you very clearly how good of a rider I was, how good of a racer I was. And on one hand, it's humbling, but also you have a good dose of reality. And I think it left me in a place where I didn't feel like I have a lot to prove because you just, you have a real honest evaluation of this is where I'm at. This is how good I am. And that's not something I've had on the endurance side at all. And so it was a big part. There was a bigger part of me, I think, that wanted to find out how fast these dudes are really going at the front. And that's pretty much what I went for. But let's get to the start line. I want to give you a play-by-play of actually what happened throughout the day. Now, you get to the start line and... Oh, I guess I should probably tell you the stats real quick, huh? Okay, let me tell you the overall stats and then we'll go back to the start line. So looking back at my Strava from the day, we have a total distance of 134.71 miles. That's 10,804 feet vert. And Strava gave me a historic relative effort of 655. It actually was a TSS score of just over 400, which is 5,300 KJs. And my average power for eight hours of moving time was 225 watts, which actually was a little bit more than I expected just because of how hard I cracked toward the end. So definitely a hefty day on the bike, no doubt. And this was for the Waffle Ride, which was their bigger version. They also had a wafer and a wana that they did the next day. And I think the wafer ride had, I think it was like 70 miles on it was the same course up to a certain point that one just excluded this big black uh this big back loop that we did which was probably the roughest uh terrain of the race to be honest but it's still 70 miles dirt and road and single track and all of that uh, and then there's the wana which i'm not sure exactly what that course was but it was like 40 miles and they had split the two groups so all the waffle riders started and did their race saturday and the wafer and the wana riders did it on sunday but it still meant that there was over 2,000 people each day on the start line which is just surreal. And that brings us actually back to the start line. And we were all lined up in this back alley, really cool downtown area. Basically, it was connected to the University of San Marcos. This uh, area where they had the expo was like right by breweries. And it was just a place you would want to hang out regardless. So putting in all of the expo and the vendors and the energy of the event was just super cool. So we get lined up in this mass start. I'm kind of inching my way into the side toward the front uh, with Cody Kaiser, who I went down with. And he was really showing me the ropes all weekend. So we're kind of inching our way in, starting to see some people I know. And they're doing their call-ups for the top pros. And then they actually did the national anthem, which I wasn't expecting. And I really appreciated it. They started the music. But the craziest thing was, was that it cut out like... 
I don't know, 10, 20 seconds into it and it was silent for a second. We're kind of waiting for it to come back on and it didn't. And then some random dude just started singing the national anthem, just straight up picked up the lyrics from where it left off and then everybody followed suit. And pretty soon we had 2,000 people singing the national anthem before this thing and it felt epic. I mean, I think there was a couple tears floating out there because it was just like a proud, nice little American moment that I didn't expect to have before the race. Uh, And that was pretty dang cool. So from there on, I think it kind of got the nerves out for me uh, and for a lot of people because the energy just felt good. There was already this camaraderie amongst the Peloton. And once we started, Cody told me he'd go off pretty quick and he was not wrong. Uh, But it wasn't like this insane pace until we got to the first climb. I think the, the thing that was interesting was just being in such a mass group of people. You know, I've done group rides with 50 people, 60 people, especially high paced ones, but having thousands of people and just the sound and the energy and the way it pulls you is is really interesting. And plus, I did a little bit of course recon, but I wasn't super familiar with the, the turns that were coming up and exactly where we were going. So it was just totally being shoved into the pack, trying to make sure I was in the top like 100 ish. And then going along for the ride. And I noticed that I started going toward like gravitating toward the outside of the group. And I started pushing up on the left side of the group, but we went around a right hand turn. And if you've done any group rides, you'll know when you go around a 90 degree turn, everybody kind of pushes up. No one really corners as tight as they should. And me and a handful of dudes got pushed on the other side of this median as we were making a right turn. Now, the problem was that median basically protected the race on the right side of the road, but on the left side of the road, we had oncoming traffic and there were cars coming and me and the dudes looked at each other. And my first thought was I got to get back over there. And it was just purely reactionary. And this was one of the coolest moments of the race for me. I'm so happy I did get it on GoPro and I posted it to my Instagram. Hopefully it'll go up on YouTube, but I bunny hopped into this median that had just a bunch of rocks and random bushes and boulders in it. But I found a spot to bunny hop, land in the rocks, pop out of it off of the curb back into the group and it felt rad in fact when i did it came back in thankfully there was an open spot and i didn't mess anyone else up but there was a guy that i ended up next to and he was like that was badass and i was like yeah dude that was sick and from there dude i just started sprinting i pushed up a little bit closer to the front and i think that's honestly when i just got excited about racing because it just felt cool and right after that was the big Uh, first climb of the day. And I knew that this is kind of where people would turn it on to split up the group because after this first climb was the first dirt section. And if you've done any of these events, you'll know that there's a crazy bottleneck that happens as you get into this dirt single track because you have hundreds of riders on a road at a time trying to squeeze into it. And it's inevitable that's going to really slow down. So the fact that there was this big climb before the dirt I think was probably a good thing, but it meant the dudes were going super hard at the front. And I actually looked at my effort on this because when I came into that dirt, I ended up being in the lead chase group. And I think I was, I don't know, probably in the top 30, 40 ish, maybe I mean, for sure top 50, but maybe top 30 or 40. But this section was a, it was a 720 foot vert climb on the road and a total of three miles and a 4.6% grade, not too crazy steep, but I did an average of 340 watts for 13 minutes going up it. And, you know, this is on mile five of a 135 mile race. So it's not that those numbers are insane for me, but when you put it in perspective, I would never go do an effort like that. 13 minutes at 340 watts before a day like that, or even in a day like that. 
you know, that's, that's something right off the bat where I, in hindsight, I'm like, dude, that is something that led to me blown up way earlier than I expected. Because when I go out and do these monster rides on my own, you're, you're not putting out efforts like that. You know, you might go hard or you, I'm definitely riding at 340 Watts at some point, but not for 13 solid minutes. <laughs> definitely not. In fact, when we got up and over this thing into the dirt, that's also when I realized that even though you're skills on the bike will make a big difference in as far as how safe you are throughout the day and maybe avoiding certain mechanicals that could happen if you were less skilled on the bike in general but they're not going to be a huge advantage as far as gaining time and so i guess to be more clear having really good bike handling skills is going to make you know ensure that you don't lose time that's unnecessary by breaking where you don't need to or again having a weird crash or mechanical just because of a handling issue but it's also not going to be as much of an advantage when you are trying to actually gain time on people because you're so cracked like that's one thing that i don't know if people from gravity side the, the gravity side of the sport understand because i certainly didn't you think oh man i'm gonna make up so much time on this dirt and it's like well maybe you could make up a little bit most likely you're just going to be safer you might save a little bit of energy but honestly you're going to be not riding it like full gas because you're just so cracked and so that was something i realized right away i was getting around some people on the inside just by riding a smooth line through a corner where they would push and get a little sketchy but again i wasn't like gaining a crazy amount of time and this is also where i realized how groups will reform on the road and that was something i didn't really anticipate or i didn't know what to expect you know i didn't want to get too far off the front because my thought was okay if i get start blowing up i can at least dial back the pace and then I at least have some leeway to get caught by a slightly slower chase group that maybe I can hang on the wheels for there. But but truthfully, I could have started with those slightly slower chase groups, not blown so many matches or not lit so many matches, and then still caught up to the lead group, especially in the early part of this event. So that's something I'll consider in the future, uh, most definitely. Because after that dirt section, there was a downhill on the road and it went into this long rolling kind of highway where everybody started regrouping. And we had a group of a couple hundred people before we got into the next bottleneck single track. And once we got back into that bottleneck single track, that's also where I I realized I was like, okay, you know, I can ride this pace, but this is a pace I would normally ride if I was on a two hour mountain bike ride, for example. So I'm comfortable at this pace, but the perspective again was off because I wasn't considering the fact that we're less than 20 miles in to a 135 mile day. And that was the thing that didn't really register. Uh, but at the same time, you guys, even though I was riding over my head, it was awesome. It felt so cool to be up there with the faster dudes and to just be in the mix that way. Because I haven't had that feeling of racing in, in years. And I've never really had that true bar-to-bar -bar racing feel. So to be on these dudes' wheels and we're hauling on these uh, single track trails and gravel roads and roads and to be like, oh, this is a you know EF education rider in front of me. This is a Legion rider behind me. This is a, you know, our cyclocross national champion right ahead of me and you, you're seeing all these riders that you do follow and, and respect and admire and it was cool to be in the mix in fact i saw on video from Veloworthy, really cool youtube recap that he did and coming into another dirt section which we were about 20 ish miles in i was like 10th or 11th or something i was behind brandon wirtz which is a gnarly established gravel racing dude and just even seeing that video it put it in perspective to me i was like oh i was creeping up in the dirt i was putting out a lot of effort and I was up there with the front dudes and that lasted really until we got to the steep section of single track and 
by steep, I mean, it would have been a realistic grade on a mountain bike, again, with more traction and, you know, bigger tires. But when you're on these bikes, it's just not, they're not conducive to riding like that. You have way bigger gears. You have to stay seated so you don't patch out. And it's just a different approach. Like you look at the trail and in my head, I'm like, oh, I can get up that no problem. But then I start riding up and I'm like, whoop, can't stand. Whoop, these tires are sliding. Oh, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> and it was funny because going up this section of trail, it started gapping out quite a bit. And I had a little gap behind me and then I had a gap in front of me. I was on a Carrie Werner's wheel, actually, if you guys are familiar with that guy. Uh, he also has a great recap from the race, but one of the best cyclocross racers in our country. And he started pulling on me. And because I didn't have much pressure from behind, I was like, dude, I this it's cool. It's all good. And again, I kind of know at this point, we'll probably regroup anyways. So I'm going to get up this smooth, but I had someone basically come up on me out of nowhere and, and just very, very subtly, very gently just said like coming up and it was Alex House from uh, Education First. And I pulled slightly to the right to let him by. Uh, he didn't push me out at all, but I started pushing with my front wheel because I got into some soft dirt. And instead of clipping out, there was a big boulder next to me and I stuck my right hand out and on the boulder and basically hand planted it and pushed myself back upright to start riding again. <laughs> it was rad because I heard a guy behind us, he's it, it kind of in the distance, but he was like, nice save. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you, dude. That was a nice save. And that was funny because that kind of gave me another little jolt of energy to get over this climb and start descending onto the next single track. I'm holding in my hand something that makes me really happy. It's a little bundle of joy, something I look forward to every single day. It might even be the highlight of my day. Well, not always. Pretty close, though. <laughs> it is a six-pack of Remedy Supply Co. Instant Coffee. Now, I don't use this every morning. Truthfully, I use a coffee pot. I like, I've been known to do a little pour over here and there, a little French press, but having instant coffee packets has been so awesome for convenience, especially at my studio. Now, I know a lot of people who are cyclists will use this on the go, especially if you have a good van life setup or if you're camping or if you're on a bike race trip and you just need to get some hot water and have this coffee ready. I mean, that's how I am at my studio. I don't have any type of coffee maker, but I do have a hot water dispenser and I dump these packets into my cup with whatever leftover coffee was in there from the morning and I have an awesome cup of coffee that easy. And I know it's easy to be skeptical because it's instant coffee, but listen to this right here. This is a single origin Ethiopia called Sakaro. It has flavor notes of grapefruit, cherry blossom, and lime zest. I mean, come on right now. Could you think of a better spring summer type flavor in your coffee? No, I cannot. And that's why I've been drinking it and I've been absolutely loving it. In fact, my afternoon yesterday consisted of drinking one of these on my drive home from work, and it just brightened my day. It gave me that last little boost of energy before I walked into my three psychopath children. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're angels. I mean, they're crazy angels, but yeah, they're they're angels. Regardless, the coffee was great. Go to RemedySupplyCo.com and use code DialedFam to save 15% off site-wide. They do ship internationally. And the coolest part about this brand is that the owner is a DialedFam member, and they're heavily involved in our trail community up here in Northern California. So that's RemedySupplyCo.com using code DialedFam to save 15% on your order. Now let's dive back into the episode. I noticed that 
I wasn't riding the single track as aggressively as I should have. And I got caught by a dude. And I was like, what is this person doing catching me on this kind of technical section of single track? I mean, it was a full on mountain bike trail and he got ahead of me and this dude was like drifting corners. He blew a couple, but I said, I was like, yo, you either know these trails or you're a mountain biker. And he's like, I'm a mountain biker. And I was like, that explains it. And so I was on this dude's wheel for the next, like, I don't know, a handful of miles and we're creeping up to the 40 mile point. And we're riding fast. We get caught by someone else as it flattens out a little bit. I do a couple poles, but they're starting to get pretty weak. Uh, but at that point, I realized a couple things. So for one, I realized I, I really hadn't been taking in the nutrition I should have been. And a lot of that was because I just didn't feel comfortable taking my hand off the bar. Like to be real, I mean, I didn't want to mess anything up being in the front, hit anything, crash, just do something weird because I don't have good vision behind these wheels. We're on dusty roads. And it just, it was a weird scenario to where I just didn't feel comfortable taking my hand off the bar to drink. And I think at that 40 mile point, I had one spring energy, which had 180 calories, mostly carbs. And I had about three quarters of a bottle with like 40 grams of carbs in it total. So a decent amount of nutrition, but again, at the intensity for the first couple hours into a big day like that, not nearly enough food. I mean, it should have been double and I should have had another full bottle down of maybe just water. Uh, That's what I would have done for sure if I was on my own. And so I started noticing like when I was taking those pulls, I was like, okay, I'm definitely losing some steam here. But then I was looking down at my Garmin and I realized it started pointing forward. It started kind of sloping down toward my front wheel. And I was like, that's weird. My uh, mount must be coming loose. And then I realized, oh, my, my bars are pushing forward. They're literally rolling forward right now and we're on dirt. So I got into the drops just to help with that because you know when you're on the hoods, uh, when I would hit a bump, it would push down further. And when I was in the drops, your forward pressure on the drops kind of helped it not go down fast. And that was right away when I knew I was like, okay, I'm starting to, you know, get pretty burnt, but I got to fix these bars. Like I have to pull over the next rest stop. And thankfully about a mile later, there was an aid station and it sucked because I was like, dude, we can see the front group. Literally, they're like a quarter mile up the dirt. And I don't know if we would have caught them. I don't know if those guys would have, but those two dudes were strong. (laughs) I could have hung in there for quite a bit more. And the bummer was we had the biggest road section of the day right after that dirt section. Cause I did think I was like, oh, if these guys sit up a little bit on the road, maybe there's some hope for us to hang with this lead group and get pulled on the entire road section. But then again, there's a lot of climbing on it. Who knows what would have happened? It doesn't matter because I had to pull over and fix my bars. And this was when lesson number two happened, or maybe three at this point, but (laughs) it was that I didn't have a handy multi-tool. I had a multi-tool that was shoved deep into my saddlebag. And I realized I was like, this is going to be, this is going to take so much time to get this out. So I roll up and I'm yelling for an Allen key. And thankfully they had one, but then I realized, oh my gosh, like I think the reason I didn't check these bolts, they were the only bolts I didn't check the night before was because I had my GoPro under my Garmin mount and it's all in front of it. My number plates in front, everything's in front of these bar clamp bolts. And it's probably why I didn't think about tightening them. That's my only, my only guess. And so long story short, I have to, loosen up the Garmin mount. I have to drop that forward. I have to loosen up the stem bolts to pull my bars back up into position, retighten them, and then reconfigure the Garmin mount there. And they're all different. I was dealing with a four Allen key and then a three and then back and forth. And I'm hearing people and these groups pass me and I'm getting so like so much anxiety. I'm just getting pissed, you know, because you feel like you're missing these opportunities because it's stupid mechanical. And I was like, gosh, dang it, you know, but that's just the way it goes. I mean, I will not do another race like this without having a handy multi-tool available just to my 
pocket. Because, you know, I could have probably gotten it ready, pulled over for a second, made this a lot quicker. And anyways, that would have helped a lot. <laughs> and later on, when I found out that my my bars were dropping again, then I could have fixed it on the fly on the road because I actually asked someone for a tool at one point and did tighten them up just to make sure that they wouldn't slip farther forward. Because on that first stop, I didn't even tighten them enough. And so anyways, it was a good learning lesson. But from that point on, we're at like mile 45-ish and we get back onto the road. I kind of group up with this couple people. We start going up this highlands climb. We get a pretty decent group. And it was nice because this is where we had a big climb, but it turned into some some flats, some downhill, uh, and a lot of, it was just like a big connector to the next dirt section, essentially. And thankfully we had a group of like 10 taking some strong pulls. But as soon as we got back into the dirt, this is when I noticed my bars started pushing forward again. I realized I didn't tighten them enough, probably because I was stressed out. And yeah, I had to pull over at the end of the next eight station and they kept going and it sucked. <laughs> I was, and at that point too, we're like 60 miles in and I was just, I, I was just like, okay, I need to ride my own race and I'm going to eat as much food as I can right now, but I'm just going to let these dudes go. I have no choice. Frustrating, but I get back on and start rolling. But this is when I think all the nutrition caught up with me, even though I just downed a Coke, even though I had a peanut butter and jelly, even though I was taking in food, the first three hours of this event, I didn't take in nearly enough. And as soon as I got on my own, exposed to the elements, I felt it all. I absolutely bonked out of my mind. My stomach was filling up with water, which was another thing. I didn't know the actual macro count on the hammer nutrition that they provided. I didn't know how much sodium was in it. I didn't know how many carbs were in it. And I was not doing something right because I took in too much. I was trying to ride a normal pace. Maybe I didn't give myself enough time to just ride super easy to recover to then go hard. But long story short, this, this <laughs> I've said that a couple of times, long story short, it's, it's a long story at this point, <laughs> but I just did not recover. And the whole back section of this, the Black Canyon section was without a doubt, the roughest terrain I've ridden on a bike, just not because of the terrain itself, but because of the bike we were on. And I was bonked out of my mind. It felt horrible. I had people passing me on the descent, which should not be happening. And I knew I was riding it like a goon. I just was so out of it. And at the next rest stop I got to, I'm eating more food. I'm still not performing well. We're at mile 70 something. Cody Kaiser, who I started the race with, came up and I was like, dude, <laughs> I am destroyed. I'm purely in survival mode at this point. I got my racing fix and now I'm just trying to survive this thing. So he's, we take off together. We have a climb right out of the gate and he starts pulling and I was like, dude, just go. There's no hope. Just, just leave me. I'm good. <laughs> and so he t uh, takes off and I end up finding myself in a group that really helped for the next full section to pull back over that long road stretch because it was an out and back section on the Highland Road I mentioned. And we actually ended up catching Cody who was pulling some of the lead women at that point, which was pretty cool. And we all grouped up. And then really from there, we crept up toward mile 90 where I had a quick second wind that lasted for, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes. And then I was kind of back in the hurt box. And really from mile, I want to say like 95 or 100, Cody pretty much pulled the whole way. And he even hit me with a couple motivational quotes. I mean, he knew I was hurting. I wasn't over there just, you know, him hawing and being sorry for myself. But I just told him, I was like, dude, I'm cracked. Like it's, there's no competitive juice left in me. I just have to finish this thing and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get across that line. Cause man, I haven't bonked like this probably, well, shoot, it's been years and years. And I even got, got a couple of twingy cramps, which I have never cramped on my bike, period. Like never a proper cramp. And that's when I just knew I just was so behind on everything and I overdid it. And it just wasn't a smart race at all. But 
we did the last major climb up double peak. It was over a thousand feet and really like beautiful scenery. And I was trying to take it in too, because really once I realized that the competitive side of this race is over for me, that's when I, I, even when I was cracked, I just tried to enjoy it as much as I could. And I, I can truly say I enjoyed that part of the race. That climb was really cool. There was awesome energy at the top, all these flags and cool. Just like they just had the race set up really well. I mean, Dalton was there. Shout out to you. If you go to Walt Rides Bikes uh, YouTube, I believe that's what it's called. He has an incredible heckling video. And the dude is pouring cotton candy bang energy in my mouth while I'm riding up this thing, <laughs> which by the way, I smell horrendous after this ride. Imagine all the dirt and grime and sweat and scuzz and who knows whatever else was on me at that point. Add a layer of just weird artificial cotton candy flavor and that's what I smelled like. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it was hilarious. But that dude's energy helped out a lot and he was heckling everybody. So really cool video to go watch on YouTube. Look at, it's like double peak heckle Belgian waffle ride or something. But anyways, we come down some more dirt. We get back on the road, get to the finish line and I felt super accomplished. And, and part of me was frustrated to be honest because I knew it wasn't a smart race. It was far from what I felt like a good performance was on my end, but I did do what I really wanted to, which was see how fast those dudes are riding. And I got to experience it. So I don't regret kind of throwing all the, the smart tactics that I know about pacing and nutrition and all of that out the window because I think I got what I really wanted and it was humbling. It, it also kind of redirected my focus onto, okay, <laughs> you know, unless you completely go for some racing full on schedule to keep up with these guys, you need to focus on being the best dialed health you can be because you're not going to be winning Belgian waffle ride. <laughs> and that is, dude, that is totally okay. It really is. So it's funny. It felt like it was it, it like really redirected my focus because the saying has been stuck in my head since this event. And it's, where your focus goes, your energy flows. I've said it in the past, but it is so true. You know, it's easy to get wrapped up in your training and start to prioritize it more than the things that are number one. And, and for me, it's my relationship with God, it's my family, and it's my work. And thankfully, riding is a part of the work. And I have a fitness level that I believe helps me enjoy riding to the max. And it allows me to go out on a 135-mile gravel race and not question whether or not I can finish. It's just how how fast can I go? What's the, what's the outcome going to be? Which is really cool. But it, it's also, it's not conducive to me, you know, going out and actually like hanging with these guys for the whole race who completely dedicate their lives to it. They deserve it. And so it was, it was just a good humbling reality check. But it also left me very hungry to go out to one of these races and ride it smart and ride it well. And in the race, like I, I feel like I did a good job where I was strong all the way through and I got my best performance on the day at the race. So it's like, as soon as I've recovered, as I've gotten a few more days out from the event, I'm feeling that hunger already to kind of sign up for the next one. And that sort of leads me to what we'll talk about with Cody upcoming in this episode, which is, you know, what is gravel racing doing right? Because there are so many layers to it. And as someone who's been in the bike industry for the last 15 years, I still had that feeling of a, of a spark where all of a sudden you're like, wow, I want, I want more of this. And uh, we'll get into that on the, on the next part of the, the show, but thanks for letting me give you a breakdown of exactly what happened. You know, I, I just did an Instagram post about it yesterday and it was funny hearing some of the comments, you know, we have a very positive community around dialed health, but there were definitely some comments about, you know, you know, why you shouldn't restrict food or, you know, you need to be like smarter on race strategy, whatever. And in my head, I'm like, first off, I disagree with some of this. Also, I know, <laughs> like, like I really know. And that's, what's frustrating is I feel like as 
I, I should be the example of going into this race and doing it the right way. But maybe I just let a little personal ambition get get the best of me. And I let the heat of the race take me on. But, you know, again, that two hours of racing was freaking rad. And I, I don't regret it, but I'll have to go out and redeem myself at some point. And hopefully it'll be sooner than later. Hopefully it'll be sooner than the next Belgian waffle ride, because it just seems like these events are popping up everywhere. And there's a huge variety of them, you know, races that are actually hundred percent gravel themselves. Uh, these bikes are something I need to figure out, you know, it's my only third ride on that bike essentially. So just a really cool experience. And man, I'm grateful for these events popping up. If you haven't done one, highly recommend it. And also because the community around it. Uh, this is kind of a, a sidebar, but the day before the actual event, we did the breakfast burrito ride with LEL. Dude, and I got to hang out with multiple Dialed fan members. It was so sick. Shout out to Jenna. Shout out to King. Shout out to Rob. And, and then I got to meet a ton more people at the expo. And so that was just another reminder where I'm like, gosh, you know, it's it's great to have the show face with everybody and to be using the product and to be you know, have to have similar goals as the people that are using the product, I guess. So anyways, I could rant on all the day about this. I appreciate you guys listening to the recap and thanks for the support and following along. It was an awesome, it was an awesome experience. And uh, now it's time to actually put it together and, and use the real things I've learned on the next one. I got an incredible testimonial from a Dialed Fan member, Matthew Troutman. Don't worry, I asked if I could read this on the podcast, but he sent me an email as we were going back and forth and he finished it with this. He said, for the record, I have a ton of strength training experience and also a ton of strength program exposure. I think that what you have put together at Dialed Health is head and shoulders above anything else that I've done. Videos, tips, programs, workouts, and materials are all on point. I kind of feel like an old dog learning new tricks and it's been great. I've also used a variety of workouts, foam rolling, mobility, and all have been super positive, worthwhile experiences. Thanks for a great job on this. I'll tell you guys, that could make me shed a little thug tear right there. It's just it's just trickling down the side of my face because we have worked incredibly hard on building up this platform on the website. And I kind of forget that because I've been so focused on putting the app out, but there've been all these improvements over the years. So it's great to hear that it is standing out to someone who has used a variety of products because I want us to compete with the best in the world. And I know that we're on our way to, but I tend to focus on the things that we're doing wrong. So to hear that great experience is cool because I know he's not the only one happy having it. And if you haven't checked out dialedhealth.com for your strength training and all things off the bike, including mobility and nutrition guidance, go there right now, get yourself a membership and that will give you access to everything that we have to offer. And it will also give you access to the app when we do have it. It is so dang close people. So if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying the show, this is the biggest way that you can support what we're doing, but hopefully you are using the programs and getting results from them because we exist to ensure that cyclists have an incredible experience on the bike. And I want to make sure that's happening. So here, Huge thank you to the Dialed Fam. Now let's get back to the episode. Cody, gravel racing really seems to be working. I mean, that was my first experience this weekend. I know you've been doing them since really they started, like 2013. But what's your thoughts on this? Because from my end, it just seems like it's working. Do you have an explanation for this? Well, I think it is like that. Uh, I heard you, you know, speak about the marathon mentality, so to say. And, and I think that's a great correlation. And it's the just finishing accomplishment, not so much the result accomplishment, which is what most people look for in that marathon or that triathlon. It's that, you know, I, I finished, I completed this super daunting task. And especially an event like a Belgian waffle ride where it's, it's ultra daunting. I think that's one of the hardest days on the bike. And so in order to do that, it's it's a hell of an accomplishment, and that's what people are looking for these days. 
and um, it's it's never really yeah. been done before in bike racing and it's moving you know that it's starting to be be the way that people look at it yeah th- that's a really good point because you think about how people put marathons on their calendar it almost becomes that one thing that they're training for throughout a, an entire year something that keeps them a little bit honest something that keeps them focused and then you get to the start line and maybe i don't know five percent of the people out there are competitive it's probably less to be honest and so you have the pros that are running the front they're trying to win you have the more competitive experienced racers who are trying to get their pr on whatever the time is and then 90 plus percent of the rest of the people are there purely to complete it to say i did a marathon and to just get through the day and that gravel race and the lineup we did dude it had the same exact feeling to me because even looking back when i got to a point where i was cracked I also wanted to just finish. And I felt that satisfying feeling of just finishing. And then you get back to the expo, there are beers, there was, I mean, this spot in particular was really cool because there was a brewery right next to it. Just a great energy around the event. And I can't think of one mountain bike race I've gone to that felt that same way, where you just wanted to, not necessarily you just wanted to be there, but it was an experience just to finish. Your result almost didn't matter for the majority. Oh yeah, for sure. And the fact that everybody can toe the line and start in the same group is really important. I think for the mm-hmm. for the majority of these folks that they can see people that they see on the internet, they can see them in person and they can line up right behind them at the same rollout time. And they have the ability to sort of ride in that group. And that's pretty important for sure. Yeah. And that finish line is just sick. Yeah. It's, it's, that's what's so cool. So you're right in that you start together and it's more tangible as to how gnarly the pros are because you're on the same course. You can compare your times. You can talk about the sections that were difficult for you and, and kind of there's that camaraderie. It's that pain or the suffer bond. I even said it when we were out there. I was like, this is a suffer bond. You know, like, you know, you're out there suffering together with all these people and you have that commonality and it's almost hard not to get along with everyone, which is so cool about it. And it's like, there's the start, there's this huge adventure, and then there's the finish line. And what happens in between there are all the stories that come along with it. So that's something I've never experienced with a gravity race, you know, or even the few cross country races I've done because they're so quick. It's all about sport and high performance. There really isn't the adventure of just completing it or being a part of it or just doing the route. And I think that's why it's working. It's it's just so accessible. There's not that intimidation of people feeling the need to perform. It's like they just want to go out and experience it. Well, it's ironic and funny because there's not the intimidation factor, but yet that is probably one of the most intimidating rides I think that anybody could do on a bike. But in every category of cycling, every (laughs) discipline of cycling, there's a time limit that's different for our time of racing that's different for every category. There's multiple categories. There's different courses. There's everything is like spread out and segregated. And this is the Mm -hmm. only discipline where male, female, beginner, all the way to pro, they all race the exact same route. And when we are done and we're sitting at the brewery and drinking a beer and we see folks still in their kit and they're covering dust, we all know what route they did. We all know the exact, you know, effort that they put in. So it's, it's the same across the board. And that's the only discipline that, that really even allows that in cycling. Yeah, that's so true. The fact that all the the levels, the ages, men and women, everyone are starting together. And that that's totally unlike any other cycling discipline I can think of. And even going into, I, I don't know, how, you know, how is it on road? Because I know crit racing is structured very much broken up like a mountain bike race would be, same okay. with cyclocross. If you get into like a big road race, 
even something more at the grassroots level is there going to be a mass start it's the same. no 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 it's the same so i mean if you're signing up for a sanctioned road race you're going to have category five through category one and their mileage is yeah. going to increase with each category from you know 35 for a cat five up to 105 ish roughly you know for the pro one two races and they're all different right so really there is not the ability to there, there's no connection and, and frankly to get folks into the sport yeah. there's such a gauntlet of you know are you in this category are you over here am i this am i that i don't know yeah you know oh i want to do that distance oh you can't because you got to start here and so that's that's intimidating in itself because you're just like forget it i don't i don't even want to do it yeah and i think that could be an issue if the licensing comes into play for all of these events i know that for myself i've been interested in trying crit racing for example and again it's a pretty new interest for me but that is that feels like a big barrier because i know i have fitness that would put me outside of the category that I'd get placed in because purely I haven't spent enough time at these races, like collecting the results. And I mean, those people deserve to be at the higher ranks when they have gone through that. But at the same time, it doesn't lend itself to new people signing up effortlessly. And that's what I loved about this, this gravel race. And, uh, if anyone didn't catch in the beginning, it's, it's Belgian waffle ride that we're talking about. You know, you have people that are complete newbies that are just trying to finish the course and maybe it's their biggest ride ever. And then you have the high pros at the end or on the other side of it. And then you have everyone else kind of in the middle and you're all able to start and that by natural selection, you basically space yourself out like your pace and your actual riding level will space itself out to where it's seems to be pretty safe for the most part for everyone to start together. But I think if that mass start doesn't continue the way that it has been, then maybe it wouldn't be as popular in the future. I mean, do you think that would affect it? I don't know if so much of like the mass start is the is the main factor with it. Yeah, like the mass the mass start helps, but I think that the quote unquote mass start really can just come into play about what I was speaking of, like no categories, all the same distance. Like I don't think that the folks that are in that second wave and third wave that started only, you know, five minutes behind us, I don't think that's as much of a concern. Yeah. It's more the fact that we're all doing mm. the same course, the same route. There's not categories. It's like you pick your age group and you're in there, you know? Yeah. But if there I mean, were categories and they maybe did like five minute intervals, do you think that would kill the vibe for a lot of people? The categories thing would. Yeah. Cause there already is, you may not have noticed this, but there's already multiple yeah. waves at the, at the start line down there this past weekend. So I don't think that that bothers folks as much, but if you start putting categories into it and then things start changing the distances and all that, it's, that's going to be a, a big deal. Like a marathon is a marathon. Everybody, yeah that knows yeah. you know, knows it does it they know exactly what a marathon is and that's the way this is not every gravel yeah. race is the same distance but it's the same for everybody yeah that's a really good point and one thing i did like about this race is that they did have other options for distances because the full waffle ride it was 135 miles almost 11,000 feet of climbing so it takes a, an experienced rider or someone just willing to absolutely die all day to complete it <laughs> as we saw you know it took a lot of people like 12 hours ish or maybe i, I think that was about the cutoff but the following day they had a 70 mile option and they even had a 40 mile option uh, which i thought was was really cool because there's still people out there that get to ride that get to be a part of the event and then also maybe it gives them a goal like this year they did one distance the next year they want to do the bigger one so i think it's really smart to have the multiple options just like there's a full marathon and there's a half marathon and then you get down to like 10k 5ks and so on they're all just like levels but you still have people experiencing the same thing at the same time and i think that's where the real magic is for all of it yeah so 
My last question would be, how has it developed since you started it? You know, this was my first gravel race ever. It's 2022. It's been around for nearly a decade at this point. You did your first gravel ride. I think it was lost and found. You said back in, was it 2013, 2014? Yeah, 2013 or 2014. Yeah. Yeah. Which I had no idea this stuff was even going on at that point. (laughs) So how have you seen it sort of change? It's definitely grown and blossomed. I mean, there were always events that were like that, you know, like, um, Barry Roubaix in Michigan was always called like the killer gravel road race. Right. And it was this 65 mile gravel road, road race. It wasn't really a gravel race and that's been around for forever. And I remember doing that, you know, probably 10 years ago now, that was super, super fun to do. Then you have lost and found that showed up as like this mountain foresty, just adventure through the, you know, Tahoe national forest, super similar vibe. And it's sort of blossomed into this huge gravel event. I did the first Belgian waffle ride in, I think, 2014, and it used to be called the most unique cycling event in the road in the world. And now it's called this like unroad <laughs> race because there's so many gravel races and they've had to kind of stand out a little bit. So the idea of gravel racing has yeah. just gone, you know, through the roof. It's spread across the world, I think. Um, and, and I would have to believe it mostly started here in the U.S. And popularity has gone up. Production value has gone up. Attendance has gone. I mean, it's everything is, is really, really, really blossoming. I mean, here in the store, gravel bikes are probably our number one category now being sold. And so everybody's hopping on the train here and really it's, it's on a fast track of being the, the, it probably already is the biggest discipline in cycling. That's insane. Now, for people who don't know, you do own a bike shop. So that's a very credible source as far as where those sales metrics are coming through. But that's cool to know from my perspective as well, because it's crazy. This is sort of a a side thought, but it seems like gravel is the opposite of maybe world tour pro road racing because gravel racing is all grassroots. It's like the whole movement is coming from the grassroots level. Whereas world tour pro is like the top of the top and it's kind of splinters down. It seems like, and it seems like gravel, the grassroots movement is so strong that it's forcing people to become these pros. Like it's forcing people to show up and and realize, okay, shoot, I have an opportunity to make a career here. Last year for Christmas, my wife got me a body hair trimmer, and I don't think that she was just giving me a hint. (laughs) I had been complaining up to that point about how long it takes to groom because I joke about doing it for Instagram, but the truth is I would probably be as hairless as I am (laughs) if I wasn't doing shirtless videos because it feels good to be clean. I don't know. I like being sharp. I always had long hair growing up. Shoot, I had, uh, I've had mohawks. I've had dreadlocks at one point. I've just had crazy hair and, you know, grown my beard out to look all sloppy. I'm not into it anymore. So I like staying clean. I like staying sharp. And she got me the lawnmower 4.0 to make sure that would happen. Essentially, it's just made the ease of staying clean a lot better. I'm not constantly worried about nicking myself. It's a faster process. It's a smoother process. And so when these guys reached out to be a sponsor of the podcast, it was a slam dunk for me. Easy and great timing because I actually wanted to try some of their other products like their nose hair trimmer, the Weed Whacker, which I can confirm is awesome. So go to manscaped.com, use code DIALFAM to save 20% off site-wide. Again, that's manscaped.com using code DIALFAM to save 20% off your order. Now let's get back into the episode. Welcome to Weekly Thoughts. This is the part of the show where I get to say whatever the heck it is that's on my mind. And we covered a lot of it, talking about the event and the state of gravel, but 
since the race, there have been some personal things that have come up that I really want to nip in the bud. And it's coming down to me doing a self-evaluation of where I've performed well this year and where I have not. I've tried a lot of new things this year. And all of it has been an in effort to grow the business and get to the next level because we are so plateaued in regards to memberships. You know, truthfully, I'll just be 100% honest. We've been stuck in 950 for all year, like literally up and down. And it has been wild. I'm grateful for the consistency without a doubt. And it's just, it's becomes frustrating because I feel like I'm, I'm trying so many things and a lot of it's working. Some of it doesn't. Some of it makes me kind of a little distracted, Uh, but ultimately we've been working all year on building the app and getting this thing out has been such a hurdle. And now I'm frustrated that I even brought it up as soon as I did, because (laughs) I should have known better. But again, I've never put an app out before. And actually the problems we've dealt with have been something that uh, even my web team has never dealt with before. And it comes down to, I want to say I mentioned on the previous episode, but it just comes down to Apple tightening up their policies on in-app purchases. And we had some back and forth for a couple of weeks that we didn't anticipate. And now we're at a point where we're going to resubmit it hopefully next week. I have created my app developer account, which is another step forward. And we did get approval from Google. So the Android version is actually ready to go. And I'm sorry for Android users listening to this, but we're going to wait to drop them at the same time. So there's no confusion. And so it's coming. I mean, it is going to be there soon, but we have been very plateaued and we've been putting a ton of time and energy into the app that has not been able to be used yet. So it's like, I feel like all this value of the product and something that's going to help us retain members for longer and help us lock in more trial members, you know, up our rate there. Like these little things, I'm not expecting something random to happen, some random flood of people, but I know that our retention will be better because our product is going to be so much better. And we're also going to have daily content exclusive to the app, which is going to give people a reason to be more connected. And that daily content is going to allow us to connect the community and have a curated forum that's daily. And I don't want to get too much away because I have a problem with doing that, but there's all these layers of value that have not been used yet. And I'm getting very impatient, but it's not to the fault of, I don't believe myself. (laughs) I've done things as fast as I could on my end. The web team has done an amazing job turning it around. We're just, we're going through the hurdles and it's just, it's getting closer step by step. Even, even when there's a weird no, it just gets us closer to the yes. And it sounds very cliche, but that's truthfully how it's going right now. So, you know, I'm I'm excited to break through this barrier business-wise. And so I want to evaluate, you know, what are the things we've done well and what have we not? But the real thing I want to keep in mind is the fact that we have all this work into something that just hasn't been able to, you know, prove itself yet. And so that's a weird kind of, I don't know, it's something like, I don't want to get you know too down on myself because again, that's just not out yet. But anyways, I want to be honest about where we're at and make sure that, you know, we're staying focused. And so it comes back to myself and like my real daily habits. You know, how have I been pushing my schedule? Where has the urgency been? You know, at home, there's been a lot of changes because my wife stopped working, which is another layer where I'm like, I have to bring home extra money. But again, that there hasn't really been growth. So I'm trying to figure that out. And <laughs> and so that was like the weirdest nervous laugh. I'm sorry, <laughs> but there's these layers at home. So it changes the schedule and then uh, we're kind of settling in. The babies are getting a little older. So there's, there's more, there's not more challenges to come with it. It's just different challenges. And so there's a lot of home life that is 
shifting while I'm trying to shift the business and go into a zone I've never been in before. You know, it's <laughs> it's new levels, new devils. And what got you here won't get you there. It's like all of those things are in my head. I'm like, dude, I, I need to figure out how to break through this thousand member barrier and freaking dominate. And we're going to do it. I know, I know we are, but man, I'm in this crazy holding pattern right now. It's just like, it's it just re- requiring me to reflect and do this self-evaluation. So that's where the business at home life is, is solid uh, in a lot of ways, but there's been enough change to where I'm figuring things out there. And it really just comes down to being like, okay, like how the heck do I max out? And one of those things has been cutting way back on alcohol. That has been a game changer. I, I think I'm going to actually add a third day of strength work just to I hate to say, guys, put on a little muscle and just juice up a little bit. Uh, I need to be a little bit more eye-catching on the gram, on social. I need to live the brand. I I need to be like a walking billboard for Dialed Health. And especially since I established this weekend, you know, unless I start doing 20-hour weeks on the bike, that's, you know, I'm not going to go win gravel races and get the attention that way. But I do need to separate myself. And I need to be a living, walking, breathing version of this brand. And I think I have been up to this point, but it's it's really time to tap into the next level. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit, the alcohol, the eating after dinner, the, I don't know, the fact that I am only doing two strength workouts per week, a third one would help me put on some muscle, which, again, it just stops people from scrolling. (laughs) And, and also it's like, I I freaking love it, man. Like I love training. I love working out. It's not like I'm bummed that I'm going to try and work out more. It's just being realistic. You know, I I really do want to be fast on my bike and that's the ultimate goal. So I don't want to overdo it, but, uh, But yeah, I'm just thinking there. I'm like, okay, I can get a little bit more sleep, which I have been. I feel way better about that. And all these things, by the way, they do kind of snowball. You know, I notice when I don't drink alcohol, it's easier to not eat as much after dinner or eat anything at all. And then I sleep a little bit better. And when I wake up, I'm not running for coffee the same way. You know, it's like, so I drink a little less coffee the next day. I feel more energized. I feel less bloated. And then my training that day tends to be a little bit better because my system's running better. And that's one thing I've just noticed. It's kind of starting to compound and I just want to keep that going. (laughs) And so I think there was going to be some form of a food tracking specific goal coming up. I still need to really clarify what that's going to be for me. But I told my wife, Derek 3.0 is coming. You better get ready. It's it's getting real. I need to step it up because if I don't step myself up, the business is not going to do it magically. And so with that being said, I think that the app launch is coming out probably at the best time, even though it's it's been longer for me than I hoped for. I think that I'm more prepared for it than I've been all year. And there's been a lot of things on the back end of the business, of my life that I'm cleaning up, I'm sharpening up, and I feel like I'm, I'm getting actually ready to take on more. And I haven't been able to say that for a while, truthfully. But I feel like I'm at that point where I'm like, okay, I can take on more, you know, even little things, you guys, like my communications. Okay, all year in the end of last year, I struggled so much to keep up with emails and to keep up with DMs and any back and forth communication with the dial fam, which is super important. And I think at the time I admitted it, but it was uh, it was a huge hole in the business for me. And that is something I'm so proud to say I have nailed. In the last couple of weeks, dude, I, it has been 
on. Uh, so reach out to me if you need help because <laughs> I'm really on top of that. And I'm like, again, cleaning up these areas that have been a little sloppy over the last year, but um, I just can't wait to show what the app is. I can't wait for us to start uploading the content to it regularly and see what it really does for the business. And, and from there, my goal is going to be to really just try and tap into other people's networks. And, you know, I'm kind of asking you guys, you know, if you have connections, if you could help get me on a major podcast or if there's a YouTube platform or if there's something like that, that you think I could have some value to add at least my two cents on, that is the most important thing. Cause as incredible as it is to get people on my podcast, it adds value to the show. The show is growing slowly. Slowly but steadily, we're having ads actually approach us, which could pay out eventually, which is really cool. But at the same time, it doesn't tap new people into our network the same way. So that's pretty much uh, where I'm at mentally. <laughs> I, uh, I'm in a really good place, but I know it's just time that I I sharpen up the axe and step it up. And if you've been feeling that way too, if there's something that's just stagnant in your life right now, it requires you to look at yourself and ask yourself where you can step it up because the change is going to come from your new habits and that's going to come from you taking action before anything just happens on its own. So make it happen, you guys. Start moving forward. Hot dang, I got to get to work. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dialed Health Show. If you liked it, make sure you are subscribed so that you don't miss another episode. And also send it to a friend and tell them to subscribe. You can also leave us feedback on the Apple Podcast app, giving us a five-star rating and say anything positive about the show which helps a ton with our peer credibility. <laughs> Having a lot of reviews that are positive is huge for getting on new guests and also getting us to attract new sponsors, which is a big push for the show because we want to be able to, just to be 100% transparent here, we want to be able to cover our production costs through sponsorships. And that's what we're trying to get to. And I think that we can, but it's going to require the show to continue to grow and you can be a big part of that. Now, I hope you are inspired to start moving forward this week. I'm looking forward to seeing you next Monday. Oh, 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 oh,